Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. This is the weekly show where we talk about all things money and finances and where we furnish you with information so that you can make the best financial decisions possible. So if you want to be better with money, you want to purchase your first home, you want to learn about investing, where to begin, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe. I'm so thrilled to have you here. So without further delay, let's get into this week's show. Welcome to another episode of the Conversation of Money podcast. I'm so pleased to have you guys here. This week, I'm joined by another special guest. And like last week, they're joining me from across the pond in America. I've actually uh, known this guy for a while. I was on his podcast last year. And it only seemed right that when I started this in January that I returned the favor. He's a really great guy. We got on really, really well. And we've stayed in contact throughout the entire time, really. Um, so I, I'm really happy to introduce him. His name is Emlyn Miles Manningly. He's a financial advisor and founder, CEO of Gen Next Wealth. And he's the host of the Minority Money Podcast. Welcome, Emlyn. Hey, thanks for having me, Pete. Man, um, it's it's crazy to be on this side since I've been doing the podcast a lot and I had uh-huh. you on. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been interviewed in a while. So it's like, yeah. I'm like, wow, it's different. But uh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you and what things you're going to do with this podcast. I I've, I've still follow you on social media, uh, looking at your, your stuff on IG. And, uh, you, you know, you always had, you've always had great stuff to say. So, you know, being able to get more people to listen to you on the podcast uh, opposed to Instagram is going to be great for, for the growth of, of your brand. Yeah, thank you, man. I think um, you kind of led the way with that, really, to be honest, because I remember when I was on your podcast, I was thinking about it at the time, but I wanted to do like a a visual audio one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I needed to get like cameras and and I was looking at the logistics. And I started um, obviously the community in New Year and went onto YouTube. And my friend was like, well, why don't you just rip the audio off the video and make that into a podcast? And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay. And um, lo and behold, podcasts are great. They reach lots of territories and people far beyond what I what I thought. So you're you're kind of the source of the inspiration for this, to be honest. Hey, I'm just paying it forward, man. There was a there was another uh, brother that that had me on his podcast, uh, Desarte Yarnway, had me on his podcast in um, 2018, and that was my first podcast. Since then, uh, you know, we obviously started the Minority Money Podcast, and I've been guest on, on on a few other podcasts but that was all him same similar to to, the, to how we met we met i met him on social media now him and i have met because he lives in uh, san francisco so we went well he did live in san francisco so we actually met that way um but yeah it, it was you know same thing he started we got on the show and i was like man i want to do this and i asked him a whole bunch of questions about how to do it and he was very very generous with his time and with his with his knowledge and uh, a few other people that helped me get this going too uh, I don't want to start trying to name names because I'll forget someone. But yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, I think, you know, out here, uh, any type of financial advice that you're giving, especially if you're a person of color, uh, we, we, you know, we got to help each other. That's that's what I think we are. And as, and as black men specifically, um, yeah, we definitely got to, you know, got to got to got to help each other. That's what we're we're here for. So and uh, next time, someone else is going to be looking for one. And when they come to ask you for help, you pay it forward for them, man. So absolutely. Absolutely. So before, we've got something we're going to discuss this week. And the topic is all around behavioral finance. And I think it's quite topical considering what's going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. But before we get on to that, why don't you just tell um, the listeners a little bit about your podcast, why you started that and your vision for it? Because that's 
one of the reasons why I really wanted to come on your podcast when you asked me to come on. And one of the things that really inspired me as well, because I think there's a lot of truth in your um, vision and your reason behind your podcast. Absolutely. So uh, the way it all started was I, I actually have my own uh, investment in financial planning firm. That's Gen Next Wealth. And so when I started the firm, I was thinking, you know, I, my, my target market is minority families. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking, how do I um, get information to these minority families? Not everybody, you know, not everybody's going to become my client. I just can't help everybody. Mm-hmm. But if I can put out some content for them on a weekly basis or on a you know monthly basis and get that to them, then I thought, how do I do that? And as you've talked about, the podcast has the largest reach. So when we decided on a name, we were, you know, and I talked to you about the name, I think, I think yeah. we were talking about yeah. complexion of wealth and, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, you know, but, but I want to, I want to be specific to minorities. I mean, I know complexion of wealth, if you dig a little, you can figure out what it is, but I wanted to be very, very specific with the target market that I was trying to reach. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're not a minority, that the stuff won't help you because it will. But I wanted to be targeted to that specific group of people because they are underserved and often overlooked. With mm-hmm. that being said, um, there are some statistics here in the United States that had talked about the wealth gap, which there is, it's very well documented here in the States. And I'm sure uh, over in the UK, it's not much different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that, it was every $100 that a white family had, a black family only had $5, and a Latino family only had about $8. And that was, that, that, was, that was really, that really bothered me. And I said, how do we do that? And so we came out with the Minority Money Podcast, and the goal of the podcast is to change the complexion of wealth. Now, we can't do that alone. It's going to take, you know, a, a group effort, and this is why we partner with people like yourself, Conversations of Money. My other podcast that I'm on, uh, that, I, that I work with is uh, the Young Money Podcast. And, and so that was where the vision started. And, and then just, just the overwhelming feedback from people like yourself and other people that have heard the name, caught the vision and, and seen what we're trying to do. And knowing that it's going to take all of us working collectively to truly change that complexion of wealth. But uh, I, it's, it's a huge task. And, and I know I can't do it alone. And uh, I know it's going to take a group effort. And so this is this is why we decided to, to start that podcast. And have you started to see like an immediate impact um, so far? Because so, you're what episode are you on right now? Because you've been doing this for a while. Yeah, I'm on episode. Uh, I've already recorded out to 42. Wow. But I think today. I want to say today, episode 39 came out okay 39 or 40 came out today so i try to get a little bit ahead i'm actually a little behind i need to get out to the the commitment was for me to do 52 episodes regardless i was like i'm so gonna do 52 episodes one a week uh and then figure out you know what what do we need to do is it working are people liking it i'm starting to see a lot of people uh, get some response from it um like you were saying i had no idea that the reach was going to be as as broad as it was we do have um a pretty good listenership in the UK, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we at UK got um, several European countries, uh, some Russian listeners, China listeners. Uh, we have some listeners in the Philippines, Jap- Japan. So we're, you know, we're uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, just to name a few. Which really, like when we were talking the other day, I had no idea. So, mm-hmm. so people are listening to it all over the world. 
And when I'm able to collaborate with other people that have similar visions, it may not be changing the complexion of wealth, but it is bringing financial literacy to the minority communities. Yeah. I love, like, it's just a synergy that we get, you know, like now we're working together for a common good and that's educating, uh, you know, less fortunate people. And typically those people are minorities. So yeah, it, it's been, it's been going great. And it's not all on me. It's, you know, just being able to, to share that vision with people that have like goals in mind. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I, the reach for me has always been amazing and just, I mean, I started in January. So seeing that it's expanded to different countries and listening to the uh, demographics of my listenership, I looked at it today, actually, specifically on Spotify. I was actually quite mm-hmm. surprised that my biggest mm-hmm. group apparently are, are women um, mm-hmm. between the ages of 35 and 44. I was not mm-hmm. expecting that because mm-hmm. on Instagram, my the biggest portion of my following is, is male. So it seems to me that ladies tend to listen a little bit more to podcasts. It, evidently um from spotify so that's quite a quite a surprise yeah you know the 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 analytics man they they really tell the story and i've been digging into some analytics and and i've actually changed the day that we have the show come out because of those analytics and 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 when you start thinking about like people are actually like because let's 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 be real Pete, I'm sitting here, you know, we record the podcast, whether I'm doing it at my office at home or I'm doing it at my office at, at my actual office, like for the longest time, I, I couldn't get out of my own way thinking, what do I have to say that people want to hear? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's like, it's like, I, I got all this, you know, I have all these ideas, but no one wants to hear this stuff. You know, uh-huh. it's just stuff that I'm thinking about and, and lo and behold, there is people that want to hear what we have to say and need to hear what we have to mm-hmm. say. Yeah. So keep giving your authentic voice and being yourself and, and the listeners will follow you. They will find you. And uh, yeah, it, it's been, man, it's been an incredible journey and I can't wait to see what happens in the rest of 22, 2010, or I'm sorry, 2020. 20, yep. <laughs> yeah, 2020. Yeah, 2020. I'm telling you. The, 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 You're the taking whole, us back uh, a decade there. <laughs> man, it, it, everything in 2010 was, the market was doing great there. I mean, we were all right. <laughs> We were. I mean, it's funny how our time flies and how things change. And actually, that's a nice segue into what we're going to discuss today, because back in 2010, there was no hint at all of this pandemic coming around the corner out of nowhere. I mean, I think when it was first reported back in November, everyone thought, eh, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a thing. It will be gone in a few weeks time. It's not going to spread past China and Lo and behold, here we are, global pandemic, and we're in the thick of it. I know that America has, you know, obviously announced their own measures with the relief uh, bill, $2 trillion. I think it's going to be a little bit more now, like $2.3 trillion or something like that now, uh, with the additional money that they're asking for for small businesses. And, you know, we've got a similar picture here in the UK where, you know, the government really is stepping up to help people, to help business and this came out of nowhere. So what we wanted to talk about today was the behavioral finance um, around money and how that can benefit people going through a difficult time right now with the lockdown and businesses closing down and shutting down for a period of time, people being furlonged. I know the unemployment numbers in America, I think there was 6.6 million something like a couple of weeks ago. I haven't Ridiculously caught up on them. High. What are they now? Yeah, it's like, it's like six points, uh, right under 7 million last I checked. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot. The numbers are pretty high, and it's it's not something that uh, we were all prepared for. But but then again, I think that there has been some silver lining in this whole pandemic. Um, and it's not about you know this isn't necessarily about investments, but 
when you look at what's going on in the world, you look at the how how much the pollution has gone down in places like mm, China, yeah. places like New York. We have one of my buddies I was talking to yesterday. He lives down in L.A. Um, and he was saying from where he lives, he lives like in a San Bernardino. And he's like, from here, I can see the ocean. And I've never, he said, I'm up on the hill. It's about, uh-huh. you know, a little over a mile high. Um, uh, I get, I'm like, how many meters is that? <laughs> I don't know. How to, I don't know how to, check, I don't know how to do yeah. that conversion in my head. So hopefully yeah. they could, hopefully the listeners. Can make yeah. that but it's about a mile high, which is 5,280 feet. Um, roughly. Yeah, roughly. That's a good um, one. That's a, that's a good estimation right there. <laughs> no, no, that, that, it's exactly what it is because my last name is Miles Mattingly. Oh, and my there we math go. teacher would put 5,280 <laughs> feet. That's exactly what a mile yeah. is. Anyhow, but, uh, but what, what I was saying is that we've seen like, you know, you see what happened in Italy with the canals over in, in Venice. Mm-hmm. Like, they were actually able to see through the water and they mm-hmm. haven't been able to do that for years. And I really think that in, in my own opinion, I think this is God's trying to get God trying to get the attention of the world, allowing something like this to happen. They say, hold, you guys need to slow down a little bit. Just take a step back, slow mm. down. The family has always been the cornerstone of everything that any good culture has had. And for so long with everything we have, social media, you know, just the busyness of a day-to-day life, we haven't had a chance to really spend that time with our family. And now when you look at things on social media, people are sitting here saying, wow, I'm spending so much time with my family. Yeah. But the reason why we try to be successful is because we say that we want to do it for our family, but family. now that we're stuck with them, we don't want to spend that time with them. And it really makes you think about what is yeah. going on. And so until you had to take that step back and say, man, what, what's really important? Is it really, am I really doing this for my family? Am I really, so there's been yeah. some soul searching that's happened for me. And I'm sure uh, many of the listeners here have had those same, you know, internal thoughts and conversations with themselves about what this really means. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think I'll agree with you on that because for me, I think it's allowed me time to really reflect and take a step back. I'm used to always being busy out on the road, in the car, taking meetings, presenting, doing what I do on a day-to-day basis, full on, nonstop, every single day, working weekends, working Sundays. And this has allowed me to kind of just pause and think, okay, what do I really want to be doing? Mm-hmm. Am I doing the things that I enjoy doing, or am I just in a in a cycle that feels good at the time but doesn't really add any value to my core vision or my core outlook for myself? And I think it's been great for for that. And certainly, a lot of people that I've spoken to have said, "Yeah, I'm taking this time. I'm going to be looking at courses and doing a little bit of reading, and I'm just going to look at what I really want to do." And I think it's great to take that that step back because the kind of rat race that we get caught in and we just don't even know that we're getting caught in it it's crazy it's weird no it, it's that analogy you know you've heard the analogy you put the frog in if you try to throw a frog in boiling water he'll jump out mm-hmm. but if you put him in the water and turn it up slowly you'll boil him to death right yeah. and i think a lot of us were in the midst of boiling to death in our own personal things and this is personal things and i'm not even saying that i'm saying like independent of your family i'm saying your own personal Mm-hmm. This has been a time for us to step back and say, oh, yeah, you might be married. You might have kids. You might be in a relationship. You might have all kinds of stuff going on. But this is a time to take a step back on a personal level and say, OK, where where am I at and what mm-hmm. do I need to do? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I hope, I hope that's not not too bad. But I mean, I think it does segue into like you were saying about behavioral finances, because we're going to talk about uh, the human part. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the opening question is, 
for a lot of listeners who aren't kind of in, in the finance industry, who may not have heard the term, what does it actually mean in practice and how is it applied? Okay. So in my opinion, I think that behavioral finance, well, let's talk about what it isn't mm-hmm. uh, first, because like it's not your intellectual understanding about the capabilities of the financial markets. Mm-hmm. That's different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> behavioral finance is, is how you respond or react to what's going on in the market. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about responses, if you go to the doctor and you take medication, this is very fitting for what's going on, right? People have a response to the right kind of medication. Mm-hmm. However, if your body ever has a reaction to medication, that's not good. Yeah. So what we're seeing with behavioral finance is there are some people that are reacting to what's going on to the market. Not good. There's mm-hmm. some people that are responding to what's going on to the market. Typically better. Now, responding doesn't mean that you have to take action. That just means that you're allowing things to happen and mm-hmm. you're just kind of sitting back and watching. Now, there's been a lot of my clients that have called me for buying opportunities. I've had to talk some clients, you know, off of the ledge because they've, you know, they've just kind of been uh, a little worried and rightly so, because we've never had anything like this happen. So I think the core root of behavioral finances is focusing on what you can control and sticking to it without reacting knee jerk to the market. That, yeah, I, I will completely agree with that because the amount of times that I've, I've certainly seen and had interactions with people and they're like, it's falling, I've got to get out. And it's like, okay, let's just take a step back and recap on why you're invested in the first place. Has your goal changed? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you still have enough time in times of timeline on your journey? Yes. Okay. So why would you want to get out now, disinvest your investment and crystallize that loss? Because the market's down five, ten percent. And that does take a little bit of time to sink in for a lot of people because let's face it, it is there, it is the hard-earned cash. It is something that they've spent their life building and they definitely don't want it to be at the mercies of the market. And it is an important conversation to have with people. And and one thing that I'll say is that I've had, I had a um, Dr. uh, Daniel Crosby on my show the other day and he's a behavioral scientist, actually he's a a psychologist and then became a financial advisor, which that's probably what all of us should do, right? Because at the end of the day, we understand how this human mind is working before we can get in there and talk about money and see the big disconnect. But what he was saying was, you know, the the brain has evolved in some aspects, but in most regards, it still has those 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 basic needs that you have. Right. You you have you know, you want to feel secure. You want to feel safe. You want to eat. And and when it comes to the anxiety that you face from the investments that you have with things that are completely out of your control, you still have those emotional responses. Mm-hmm. Your amygdala still gets hijacked and you go on the fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And this is why you're getting those calls from those people. This is why people are having those conversations. This is why people have those feelings because your amygdala was made to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. And at any sign of danger, market turmoil, mm-hmm. I'm going to fight stay in or I'm going to look for flight. And this is why people call us all the time with with that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a human response and it's a natural response. And this is why 
we go on to say that it's so important to work with a financial advisor because you have someone on the outside being able to look at your situation and get you back aligned. Have your goals changed? No. Has your timeline changed? No. Have, you know, do you need to change your investment strategy? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Because if you've really put together a good portfolio, it should be built to withstand any market correction because we've seen them and we know that they happen every so many years. Yep. We know this happens. Like, like this is not something unnormal for the market to do what it's doing. Actually, people should have been more alarmed when we were on a 10-year bull run. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been saying this for a while. It's like if you look at the market cycles, almost every 10 years, there's some kind of correction. And we are, we are two or three years overdue a correction at this point in time. And yes, it didn't happen through the normal mechanisms of the markets correcting, but it took something like a pandemic for that to happen. So that, that's where I go back, you know, and, and so just aligning your behaviors with your values. Like if this, if your goals haven't changed, then neither should your investment strategy. Mm -hmm. As long as you're built on, uh, you know, a core principle portfolio that's going to be able to take away all the the risk that it can as long as you can diversify the risk you yeah. know you can those as long as you're as long as you have that diversified portfolio you should be pretty good um so i've got a question for you actually too off the back of that because mm -hmm. i'm interested to see whether the practice is the same in the U, in the u.s mm -hmm. so here in the uk a lot of financial advisors now um do things like cash flow modeling. And what that basically does is it will extrapolate over your investment time horizon, drops in the market, mm -hmm. and test what the performance of that is going to be and the impact of mm -hmm. a market correction of, say, minus 10 or 20, whatever you want to set it. Is that something you guys do there as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. You do the same thing. So you're going to do like a stress test, see what, okay, in this market, if we have a 20% correction, what does your portfolio look mm -hmm. like? Like a Monte Carlo simula simulation, yeah. if you will, yeah. on different all the different things that can happen inside of your financial uh, plan. That is something that we, that we do all the time. So just like what we were saying before, the, the scenarios have been ran for the market part of it, but what's not being simulated is how the you human reaction. Yeah, absolutely. The human reaction and how you do that. So yeah. like uh, as the advisors, I think, uh, let me give you a story about one of my clients that called me. Uh, one of my clients called me and he, you know, he's, just retired a couple of years back. Uh, we were, you know, he's a good client, love the guy. We talk all the time, you know. Um, and so he calls me a few times, you know, and he's like, he called me one time and uh, this was the last time we, we spoke, but he was, he was pretty, you know, worried. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking through it. And I said, so, excuse me, one of the rules I have is that I don't, I try not to speak for the first two minutes of a conversation with a client. Mm -hmm. So they're calling me, they have something they want to say already. So let them get just, it off their chest. Yeah. Just, just, and, and I would say that to anyone that's listening, just listen for two minutes, just sit there, don't say anything, let them talk. And so he's going through, you know, he's like, I'm really worried. I've been watching the news, you know, my account's going down this and that and other thing. And I said, after we talked for his little while, and he's like, you know, I don't know if anyone else is calling you. And he's talking, if you let him talk, he'll just, you know, he, yeah, yeah. he's getting out all his stuff. Yeah. Right? And so I say to him at the end, I said, man, I, I totally understand. I get it. You have every reason to be scared. This is, this is, and, and the thing that he took away from what I said, I, I said, you know, I understand I was being empathetic. And then I said, 
this is the first time you've ever retired. And he stopped me in the middle of what I was saying. He's like, Emily, you're right. I, I didn't, you're right. I said, last time we had a market correction or last time we had a, you know, a big dip in the market was two, 2000. You were still working. He was like, yeah. yeah. And so I knew I had that time to, yeah. to get the money back. And I said, yeah. I said, so I understand just how worried you are. You, this money that you have has to last you for the rest of your life. And that's something that, that is scary. He's like, you know what I'm that. And he knew that I had heard him. And I said, however, I said all that to say this, that we built your portfolio to withstand because of those simulations that we ran, right? Mm -hmm. We built your portfolio to withstand any market fluctuations. And if the market fluctuations get to the point where we need to adjust your portfolio, then we'll make adjustments. We haven't gotten there yet. It's been three weeks of this. Mm -hmm. And, and I quickly reminded him, I said, you remember at the end of 2000, was it 2019, 2018, we had a quick downturn. He called me then, uh, and he was a little worried then. And I said, Hey, I said, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to relax. I know it's hard. I totally understand it. But if we, if we can just wait a little while, we'll be fine. By the time January came around, he had all his money back and some, and he's like, I, you know what, Emlyn, you, you, you were right. So, and I don't do it so that they say that you're right in one, because I'm not trying to just be the right guy. Mm -hmm. I want them to be, I want them to know that I understand what they're going through. And I think it's a journey as well for most people, because you, what you're doing is you're walking him on that path, but knowing that you're there to hold his hand, to give him comfort, to, so that he knows that you're overseeing what's, what's happening and, and guiding and, and orchestrating that scenario as much as you possibly can. And that kind of brings me on to the second question. So when I talk about investing on Instagram and a lot of people are first time investors who follow me, I constantly talk about diversifying your risk, like mm -hmm. really managing it, having a diverse portfolio. Sometimes that doesn't quite sink in, in terms of what it actually means. Just explain that so that listeners get the benefit of what a diversified portfolio basically means and how that goes hand in hand with managing the risk that you hold with an investment, because that is a fundamental fact when you're invested in the stock market. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to do this because typically I use this analogy in American football. That's how okay. I do it. And, and I know that most of the listeners might not understand all the rules to American football. So I will do it in uh, in football. As you I bet you it. it's going to be similar to the analogy that I use, but go for it. There we go. So, so when I use it in American football, I say there's three parts to the game. You have an offense, you have a defense, and you have a special team, mm -hmm. right? So in soccer or football, as you as you guys call it, you have you have your 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 strikers, you have yep. your midfielders, and you have and your, your defenders. defenders. Right? Yep, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Same thing. So when the market is going up, I don't get into PE ratios. I don't get into um, like I don't get deep into the, to the, to, to the nuts and bolts about how the investments work because mm -hmm. most people that I'm talking to won't understand it anyways. And it's a waste of time mm -hmm. because I'm just confusing them more. So I'll use analogies like this. So I'll say, you know, when the market is doing, uh, well, your portfolio is going to be playing offense. Mm -hmm. And so we have the strikers out there in the front. You've seen the game. Yep. You know, the defense is playing well. They keep kicking the ball back yep. uh, to the front, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the strikers, to the, the, the strikers are the scoring strikers goals. And the strikers are scoring goals, right? They're, yep. they're on the attack. Yeah. Um, you've seen the U.S. women's soccer team. I mean, something like that, you know, just yep. out there, just yep. <laughs> always on attack, yep. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, in these down markets, your, your midfielders really control the game. And that is where I would look at your like tactical management. 
because they're mm-hmm. controlling everything. Mm-hmm. When the games, when you're trying to score, the midfielders are pushing the ball forward. When you're mm-hmm. not trying to score, the midfielders are going to play, uh, you know, play more keep de- away defensive role. Defensive, yeah. not even not even defensive. It's tactical, mm-hmm. if you will. Like we're tactfully passing the ball back and forth to each other. Sometimes we'll pass it all the way back to the defenders. Sometimes mm-hmm. we'll keep it up. Sometimes we'll kick it back to the goalie so we can switch the field position and maintain like control. Maintain, maintain control. control. Yeah. So you have that tactical portion of your portfolio. Then you have the defensive part of the portfolio, which is going to be in action at times like this. Mm -hmm. And so long as you have those three positions in your portfolio, you should be set. And long as you're explaining that to the people in a way, like you don't need to get in there and, you know, say, well, we have this fun to do that. Just say, this is how the portfolio is set up. And people will usually get that analogy and they'll be, so that will suffice. Um, But I think, as financial professionals, we feel like we have to show our worth. At least this is something that we do here in the States. And we have in to sound smart. Knowledge. And so we have to have the technical mm-hmm. expertise to be able yeah. to explain them. But I think that real uh, real knowledge or real intelligence is in the way that you can communicate to people on no matter what level they're on. Mm-hmm. Like being able to explain this to, I always think to my daughter. My daughter's one of my daughters is 12, the other one's 14. If I can explain it to them and they can understand it, then we're making headway. Yeah. And that's how I would look at personal finances um, in the investment strategy that we have. I hope that answers the question. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that analogy is exactly the one that I use. It's, it's, I always say that regardless of what, what country you're in and what part of the world, when you talk about money and finances and investing, the underlying principles are universal regardless. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really good. So this leads on to the next question then. And I, I get this a lot and I answer it for people, but, with everything that's going on right now, the Dow Jones, I think, is still at 23,000 points or something like that. The FTSE 100 here, I can't remember what it closed at today. I think it closed at maybe 5,500. 5, is it a good time to invest right now? Absolutely. Best time to invest was 20 years ago. Second time, second best time to invest is today. Uh, I don't think that the... So what, I, what you're saying is the principles don't change, right? The president will change. The prime minister will change. Mm-hmm. The pandemic will go away. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's going to go back to normal. And you're going to be sitting there waiting to invest. So why not do it now? Mm-hmm. What's the worst that can happen? No, you won't lose everything. If you're working with a financial professional, you shouldn't be putting in something that has the potential to lose all of your money. Mm-hmm. You just shouldn't do it because your risk tolerance should match your investments. So most people investing for the first time aren't going to have a risk tolerance as such where they would be investing in something that's going to give them an opportunity to lose everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine literally this afternoon. So he is in music and uh, he's got a song out right now with um, Zane from One Direction. It's going great guns right now. And he was saying, well, he's just about to sign a deal. He's going to have some money coming through. He wants to invest some money, but he doesn't want to lose all the money. But then he's talking about going into property. I'm like, well, whatever you do, you're going to have a little bit of risk to take on board. The, the idea is that you manage that risk as closely as you possibly can. And if you're a first-time investor, it might just be worthwhile going for something that is low risk. And as you gain confidence, increase the level of risk that you take as you progress and as you gain confidence in, in the process and how things, how things work. And and it's being honest with yourself, right? I think sometimes we, as people, we look at things like, and I'll give you this, I love speaking in analogies. 
Uh, my wife's going to be like, you always do that. But I said, I think it makes things, I think it makes things clear for people that can hear it and they understand it. So what I was thinking is like, we have the global pandemic, right? They say there's only a 2% chance because, because we love to use percentages in, you know, uh-huh, in our industry, uh-huh. right? There's only a 2% chance that you would actually catch this and pass away. Mm-hmm. There's only a 2% chance. But if I gave you a hundred jelly beans and said two of them were poisonous and they could potentially kill you, would you take that chance? No, sure. you're not going to take yeah. that chance, right? Yeah. But it's the same 2%. Mm-hmm. So I think it's all about the way that we explain things to people and taking their hand and leading them to like, okay, so let's talk about this pain because you will, as, a, as an investor, the pain of loss is always going to be bigger than the, the, the joy of the gain. Oh, absolutely. And I think for a lot of people, I think it's actually proven in, in behavioral science as well that once you start getting returns, positive returns on the stock market, you feel good maybe the first time, second time around. But by the time you've got four, five, six, it's just kind of like, huh. But the fear and the impact or the feeling that you get from losing money remains the same, regardless of whether it's 1%, 10%, that is always intact. And so with that happening, um, you want to make sure that uh, that you can talk to your clients and take them through those real scenarios. Because I've had people come in and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, this and that. So one of my practices that I have, okay, this is one of my practices that I have with my clients. So when, when an investment client comes in, and especially it's the first time investing, we had this happen to one of my clients the other day. I always schedule a six-month meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we get in, we do the investments, especially if they're an investment only client, meaning that they're not, I'm not doing any financial plan for them. I'm just mm-hmm. handling, managing their money. I do a six month meeting. And so I just had a six month meeting with, with a client, right. Uh, right before all this stuff happened. So it was, uh, it was in January. And so we're sitting down, he's talking about his account and he's like, you know, cause when he came in, I think we had a, he called me like in 90 days and he was up, you know, a couple thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. And he was like, man, this is all, you know, I made a couple thousand bucks. This is awesome. Yeah. So then the account started fluctuating a little bit. I want to say we met in February. Yeah, it was in February. So we're starting to get a little, you know, we could see a little bit of a, a fluctuation in the account. And he came to me and I said, and it was funny. And this is where the advisor takes the lead. He's like, man, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the account. It's been going up. It's been going down and this and that. And he just, and what I say, the two minute rule. So I just let him talk, you know, and he's like, I want to pull all the money out. You know, I, I don't, I just, you know, I think I want to pull everything out. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I told him. I said, you know what? I said, I am not in the business of convincing people to keep their money with me when they want to leave. I said, you are more than welcome to leave. Just let me, I said, we can send the money directly to your bank account. Um, I said, and you are letting me know that you are a customer and not a client. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, my clients take my advice. Customers just come in and buy stuff. And he's like, well, I want to be a client. I said, apparently you don't because mm-hmm. what you just told me says that you wanted to be a customer and you want to leave. And that's okay. You can leave. There's nothing wrong with it. You, you, you will have losses in the account, this and that. And we talked through it. And he said, I want to be a client. I said, well, what's the first thing that a client has to So the first thing that a client has to do if they want to be one of my clients is take my advice. And I said, my advice in this situation is just to relax, like, like not relax. Cause I think sometimes relax, relax has a kind of negative connotation, especially yeah. in that. To, so it's like, Hey, we're, we're okay right now. We're just going to go through this. And, and, and at the end of it, we're going to be okay. And, and so that was what I was, you know, going through this first time investor with 
these conversations and, and I was like, hey, don't you think it's kind of crazy that I scheduled a six month meeting and all this stuff has happened in between those six months when we mm-hmm. opened your account to when we, and he was like, yeah, I said, because this always happens. happens. Six yeah. months to a year, you're going to get some fluctuations. It might not be, you know, a real true downturn or, or a drawdown or anything like that, but you are going to see some fluctuation in your account. And that is our time. Typically what happens, you know, we set up an investment account, put the person in it, and then we just kind of leave them and don't really talk to them that much. Mm-hmm depending on the amount of money that they have. Let's just be honest. That, that's yeah. what happens. But I've made it a practice of mine, especially dealing with minority investors, to make sure that we are in contact often, especially after that first six-month mark, because I know that they're going to see something. And, and that really, really helps. So long answer to your short question, is it a good time to invest? Absolutely. I When I speak to people and certainly on social media and where I sort of, you know, do content for that and which is where we met, the explanation of risk and, and everything is always one that I always make sure that I almost over talk about because I find that first time investors, typically, they just think money's just going to go up. And that's, that's just the way things are. And it's like, that's not, that's not the reality of it. What would be one key piece of advice that you would give to people in this circumstance where we are dealing with global lockdown at this point in time and knowing that we don't really have a clear end in sight as to when we're going to get back to business as usual. If, it, if it, my one piece of advice would be focus on the things that matter. And, and I say that very, very candidly, like what matters the most to you? That's what you should be focusing on. Yes, we're talking about investments. Is that the number one priority? If it's not, then focus on the family. If the family is number one priority, focus on that. If your education is, edu- if educating yourself is the number one priority, then make sure that you educate yourself. If investing is your number one priority during this time, then make sure that you do that. But whatever it is, find one thing to focus on and move the needle on that one thing one thing at a time. Like I, I can't stress it to you enough um, that people, us, myself included, sometimes we have so many things that we want to accomplish that we do none of them well. Very, very true. Yeah. And if you could have one thing that you do, just do that one thing. And after you figure that out, then do something else. But the one thing that can move the needle for everything else Find out what that is. That's going to take some introspective time to be able to identify what that is. And I promise you, you're all at home right now. You got time to do it. So Mm. really have that time to figure out what it is you want or what it is that's going to move you forward, whether it's financially, whether it's spiritually, whether it's emotionally, whether it's relationship, whatever it is, find out what that one thing is, spend the time on it and use that to move forward. You know, I, I completely agree with that. I did a live this afternoon and that's one thing that I kind of stressed when I was asked a similar question is we're in a period of time right now that is unprecedented in terms of the world has almost come to a complete standstill. I mean, when has this ever happened? And now is that time to reflect, decide what you want to do. Like this is the perfect opportunity to make changes if you want to make changes to embark on something new if that's something that you want to do and 
kind of find that balance and your center yourself almost uh, going forward. Exactly. Exactly. Just one thing, man. Just one thing. Like I, and, and it's, uh, I got that from a book. I, I had, I had it for a long time and I finally read it, but the name of the book is the one thing book changed my life. It was, it was, it was that book changed my life. And there's another book I had the 80, 20 principle that also changed my life. Cause mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time doing stuff and only 20% of it gives you 80% <laughs> yeah. of what you need to do. So like, it's yeah. like when you look at those, like I read those books like back to back. So I was like, I was like zeroed in and I was like, uh-huh. this is the only thing I need to do. And everybody's like, what about everything else? I said, everything else will figure itself out if I do this. Uh-huh. Are there any other books that you've read from a financial point of view that you've found interesting? I always get asked this question. Yes. And I think it's a fascinating, fascinating answer when I ask the same question of other people and, and, get their responses. Yes. I always go with, uh, the first book that I would tell anybody that's looking to invest is the behavior gap. Uh, the behavior gap is by Carl Richards. He is actually in London now. He just moved to London from New Zealand. He was on my show, but he, he wrote a book called the behavior gap. And in the book, he talks about a lot of different things, but it's all about behavioral finance. And the biggest thing that I take away from that is like when, when you're, when you're looking at the the behavioral financial stuff of the book he just really gets it like he just really he really gets it like the the one thing that he says uh that i really love is there's a difference between investment return and investor return mm. and you say well what do you mean carl what do you mean investor and investment well investment return we know you know since well we track things from 1930 the great depression Mm-hmm. We look at the Great Depression and we say, okay, this is what happened there. And we watch the stock market continually rise. We've had some dips, but it continually rises over that time frame. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just always does. Like yeah. you'll have some dips. That's investment return. Investor return is much different because when something goes wrong, we want to pull the money out and then we mm-hmm. try to get back in. And then you've seen like, you know, if you're out of the market for 10 days, you might miss the the 10 highest days of the market. Absolutely, yeah. And there's no way to time those things. Mm-hmm. And so he said the difference is, um, the differences between investment return and investor return is working with an advisor. Mm. I mean, Vanguard wrote that big old article on the advisor's alpha that uh, people that work with advisors, good advice, you know, real financial advisors, not product salesmen, but real financial advisors have a three to 4% higher rate of return just because they work with the advisor. Yeah. I mean, I would completely agree with that. I'm, I'm all in on that because I've worked with some very, very good financial advisors over, over the years. And it is, it's, it's everything that you describe that you do for your clients is that listening it's that nurturing it's taking them on that journey it's being there for them in difficult periods where they would have done exactly what you just described and pulled the money out where the value is to be had by staying in the markets and staying in the course and remembering why you're investing in the first place and adhering to all that good work you do around the cash flow modeling stress testing the portfolio and giving them that confidence that everything is going to be okay because you do add value in that way and not running from not hiding from not being the advisor that's unaccessible when i when they were calling me i was out on paternity leave but i said hey i'm i sent them an email told everybody i was going to be gone but if you need something call me and just so it happens our the baby uh our daughter was born um march 3rd and then (laughs) then all this stuff started happening at the (laughs) so i was like thanks you know her name's isela i was like thanks isela you brought all this stuff (laughs) with you when you were born but but 
you know, being accessible, being real, you know, and then clients can see the email. They know I'm having a baby. They, and then like, you know, we have that real relationship. It's not just about the numbers. Uh, the industry, whether it's here or anywhere, has always done a good job with the numbers because I give you all the historical data on what the numbers mm-hmm. have been, how the funds are, what the expenses are, what the ratio, I, all that stuff and spend no time talking to the people. Yeah. And here's a question for you then. Mm-hmm. So this is one thing that I know about the industry. I know it to be true because that's how the industry is built. However, what I get a lot of the time when I, when I do stuff on social media and these people are first time investors, typically 30 plus roughly still in very, very good jobs, building businesses, wanting to get started. They know that it's important, but they can't yet quite afford the services of a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. What would be your advice in terms of how they actually get started? So in the UK, we have investment apps and robo-advice services and stuff like that. What, what, what would you advise a first-time investor to do if they can't see a financial advisor? Well, the first thing that anyone needs to do if they're thinking about doing something is get their budget under control. We mm-hmm. need to know cash flow management. Like if mm-hmm. you don't know what your cash flow looks like, then you can't, you can't invest. Uh-huh. That's so, something I talk about all of the time. And I sound like a broken record every time I say it. And I said mm-hmm. it on your podcast, mm-hmm. budgeting is so important. And for some people, that has a negative connotation. But the reason why you need to budget is cash flow. You need to understand what you got coming in, what you got going out. But also, you really shouldn't be investing if you don't have an emergency fund behind you because you need that safety cushion if the markets do tail off to know that you haven't got to disinvest all of your stuff and really crystallize losses in the market because you don't have a cushion behind you. And that's really, really important. I always try to stress that. It's so vital. So that's the first thing. Like if you don't have that, like that's the, like what's going in and it doesn't have to be granular. I mean, I don't want you counting, you know, every transaction, you don't need to do that. Uh, Some people do, but if you know that you make, and I'm going to use dollars because I can't do the pound. Well, we'll say pounds. That's fine. If you're making, you know, five, 10,000, 5,000 pounds a month and your expenses are 6,000 pounds a month, we have a problem. Let's mm-hmm. not talk about investing. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how you're spending. Yeah. Right? Cash flow. Control. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And, and a lot of people want to get out there and they want to invest and you can't invest unless you have the other financial principles taken care of. Mm -hmm. The principles don't change. They're timeless, Mm -hmm. timeless. Like the principles aren't going to change. It's not how much money you make. It's how much money you spend. It's Mm -hmm. how much money you save. I don't, you know, you, we all talk about it. The more money you make, the more money you tend to spend. And so what I always tell people is it's easier to start saving money for yourself. Save that first thousand dollars in your savings account or thousand pounds in your savings account. Get that in there. Get used to saving that. And then, you know, think about doing something else. But until you can save a thousand bucks, at least, and that's, you know, you typically you should have three months of, uh, of your expenses saved up. Mm-hmm. But getting that first thousand dollars under your belt is going to be so huge for not only for your confidence, but for your belief, especially if we're doing it in a good market, yeah, uh, even in a bad market. Because you're buying, especially if you're doing some dollar cost averaging, you're going to be making systematic purchases of stuff that's going to be for a lower price than it would like the dollar cost uh, 
mm-hmm. per uh, you know per fund that you buy is going to be lower. Mm-hmm. And so when the market does turn around, you've been able to stockpile some 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 yeah. some mutual funds if you bought those. You've been able to stockpile some on a discount. So when the market turns, you get to see your your increase. So uh, all of those things are are things that will help people get ahead, but none of that matters if you don't have a budget. Mm. I always talk about habits and habits being crucial to getting into the routine, because I believe that, yes, you need to form a habit to be able to save that first thousand dollars or that first thousand pounds. But also, if you are going to be buying or investing on a monthly basis, that is also a habit. So you can't progress to the habit of investing on a monthly basis and benefiting from pound cost averaging or dollar cost averaging mm-hmm. if you can't develop the habit to start saving in the first place. Like you say, there are steps that you have to take to get to certain stages. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, you know, just just doing little things like it's the little the tiny habits. OK, I'm a, I'm not going to shop on Amazon because I, I don't know if that's an issue in the UK, but I know over here. <laughs> no. Man, <I'm> <laughs> no, it is. It is. <laughs> definitely so, is. I mean, are not using debit card. Like I started to do stuff like little things like, oh, you know, what? I'm not going to use my debit card today. OK, I'm not going to use it this week. You know, but to do that, you're going to have to make some plans. You may have to pull out some cash and use mm-hmm. that. But I started using cash when I was in the beginning. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give myself an allowance of X amount of dollars and, or X amount of pounds in your case and see how that works. But this is only after you've actually looked at your account. Make it a habit to look at your account every morning when you wake up. Look at your account. See what's going on. Most people don't want to look at it because they know they bought stuff that they shouldn't have bought. <laughs> right? So, yeah. like. Those are the simple things like, man, I shouldn't have bought that. You know, we went out last night, had drinks. Man, I spent how much? I was like, yeah, look at it. Yeah. Um, Keep yourself accountable. I use an app now. My wife and I love this app. It's called Albert. I don't know if you have heard of that, but I think it's the like, there's been, there's Mint. I've tried Mint. You need a budget. Uh, There's a few other ones that I had. Albert is the one. What does (laughs) Albert do? Albert does it all. So basically what Albert will do is it'll track your spending just like we're talking about. So to have your, you know, it'll, it'll track all of your paychecks that you have Mm -hmm. coming in. So it'll take that. It'll go back three months from when you first like log into the account, log Mm -hmm. into the Albert app. So when you get in there, it's going to ask you to add your checking account, saving account, all that, you know, log into your online banking. It's going to take all your stuff. Then it's going to look through your stuff. And then like, so it'll say, okay, this last month, you know, you and the, if if you're married, you and in and, and, and your spouse made, you know, 10, let's just say $15,000. You guys mm-hmm. made 15,000 pounds this month and you spent 13,000 pounds. And this is what you spent it on. <laughs> yeah. Go through it. It's <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and so then it'll say, it'll tell you like, okay, so you have spent, you know, $12,000 this month. You have $3,000 left and you have these bills that are coming out. Mm-hmm. It'll tell you that. This is how much cash flow you have left to do this. And then they have a savings feature on there. Like uh, I pay, I think you can pay like, you can pick how much you want to pay, but I pay $5 a month for it. And it has a smart savings feature. So every couple times a week, it'll take money out of my checking account. Uh huh. Just randomly. It'll just take a dollar. Like the other day, I seen to yesterday, yesterday I took out $45. The day before that, it took out nine. Uh-huh. A couple of days before that, it took out $18. No rhyme or reason to how much money it takes uh-huh. out. Albert just does what they do and then they'll pull the money out. And uh, we've used Albert for the last month. And and we've had, we had like $300 in our savings account with Albert in addition to our savings account yeah. that we have with other stuff. And that, yeah. that one's just an extra one. Um, 
you can also invest on Albert if you're trying to get started out and you say, you know, I can only do, you know, $25 a month. I, I tell people either do Albert or do Robin Hood. Uh, if they don't want to work with an advisor, then you can go through and, you know, they have a risk profile that'll give you yeah. something. It'll be something simple uh, until you feel like, you know, now, granted, I have said that working with an advisor will give you better returns, but some people are do-it-yourselfers and, and, and you don't want to take that, that opportunity from them. Yeah. So you make it easy and you provide the information so that they can take care of things themselves. And when they feel ready to get an advisor, they'll hopefully reach out to someone like yourself or me. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you talk about Albert there because we do have uh, similar apps here in the UK and they work similar to that. The one that I used to use, I kind of got rid of it now, it would, it would round up your transactions. So if you'd gone in a grocery store shop, for example, and you spent £30 or $30, well, let's, let's call it $32.80, mm-hmm. we'll either round up the 20 cents that's left over or you can round it up to the dollar amount or the pound amount. And people using that is really, really good because it, it just means you end up having a separate amount of money that you would have otherwise missed. And it's good practice to get into those kind of... and the fact that you can automate it as well takes away that the manual process that you might miss it, miss it. Absolutely. Is that Albert? I mean, is that an acorn that you're using? Uh, that, that, that particular app is called Moneybox. We've got a number of them out here. There's uh, oh, okay, Plum okay. as well. Uh, there's Moneybox, there's Plum. There's a, there's a, there's a whole host of them uh, that right. do similar features. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's one of those things that, you know, you got to find what works for you. Cause we used another one called true bill. I didn't like that one. I wasn't a big fan of mint. I didn't like, uh, I just didn't like the other ones I had. I used uh, Tiller Money, which was just a whole bunch of spreadsheets. And I'm doing everything on my phone. I need something that's compatible mm-hmm. with my phone. Now, I can go on a Tiller and, you know, you can scroll around on the spreadsheets on your on your phone. But it just wasn't it wasn't practical for me. Mm-hmm. The seeing how much money comes into the account, seeing how much money goes out and then being able to look at all the reoccurring payments that you have, because sometimes mm-hmm. we lose those, like the gym yeah. membership. I yeah. can't even go to the gym right now. Like, yeah. should, I, should, I, should I still have that? Yeah. Auto insurance, it'll, it'll run that and say, okay, you probably could save money on this. Homeowners insurance, it does all that. Mm-hmm. So, so, the, so the app, in conjunction with my planning for my clients, oh, it's been great. Amazing. Cool. Look, that's been a great discussion. I hope that I'm sure, actually, that listeners have found that beneficial. There's a lot that we unpack there, but I think, you know, the reaction and the responses to what's going on right now is what's really important, I guess, Mm -hmm. is kind of the roundup. And there are certainly um, steps that you need to consider, you know, whether you're invested in the market or already invested in the market, there's a process behind things. And yeah, it's all about making sure that you have a, a good understanding as a, as a starting point. And the, the, the services of a great financial advisor to assist you along the way. So before we round up, Emily, why don't you just let the listeners know how they can find you, what you got going on? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, you can find me there. That will be E miles Mattingly on Twitter. That same thing on Instagram, E miles Mattingly there. Uh, you can find the Minority Money Podcast on all podcast platforms that, you know, that's going to be on Apple Play, Google, or Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, it's everywhere. Uh, and yeah, that would probably be the best place to get a hold of me, either on Twitter or IG. Uh, I do have a Facebook group for the Minority Money community. Uh, you can look for that too if you if you want to get uh, timely stuff that we're doing from the podcast and, and the blog posts and stuff that we're doing like that. But uh, you, you can find me anywhere. 
on on those two platforms, or you can just go to my my website, minoritymoney.com. You can see some stuff there or gennextwealth.com. So I'm sure Pete can put all those links in the uh, show notes and you all have that. Uh, but yeah, this is fun, man. I, I mean, it's, it's still crazy to me that, that, um, you know, that, that you're over there on the other side of the pond and I'm all the way <laughs> like, like in Cali. So I'm in California and people are going to be like, I'm from Madeira and they're like, where's that at? So I'm smack dab in the middle of California. Uh-huh. Um, our claim to fame is Yosemite. So we are, uh, our, our community was started. Madeira actually means wood in Spanish. And we started as a logger community with the Sugar Pine Railroad. So the Sugar uh-huh. Pine Railroad started. Uh, our, our community here in Madeira. So if you're going to Yosemite, you've passed through where I'm from. Yeah, beautiful place. The last time I was in the States, I tried to get up to Yosemite. I didn't have the time because I was all the way over in Vegas. And I mm-hmm. that's the one thing that I uh, that I need to do. If I do come to FinCon, and I've had a look at that, by the way, um, yeah. then maybe it will be a, a nice stop to actually make. Um, oh, I can get you. I, I'll show you. I'll show you the park, man. I'll show you what's going on out there. I go there. We we spend a lot. We're there for. Uh, uh, we, I, I go to the park often, so it's in my. It's literally in my backyard. It's an hour away, and it's parts of the park are in the county that I live in. Fantastic. I'll take you up on that actually. So I've I've got to book the tickets. I've got to look at flights. I don't know what's going on with flights right now. They're we cheap. don't know what's going on with anything. It's like what's <laughs> where are we? I've got actually got a friend um, who works for British Airways, and when we last came to the states, he got his business class return at a ridiculous, ridiculous discount. It was amazing. So I'm going to see if I can uh, ask him another favor, but fingers crossed, we'll see. But guys, that is another episode of the Conversation of Money um, podcast. I hope you've enjoyed that. I hope you found value in that. We have more guests coming along. Um, Again, this is all about financial education. It's about financial literacy. It's about giving you information so that you can make the best financial decisions possible. And in doing this, I want to be able to bring as many perspectives to the table as possible in the bid that it encourages a conversation about money. This is the whole point. As ever, you guys know where to find me on Instagram at Conversation of Money. You can check out the website and on YouTube as well. But until next week, I will catch you soon. Take care.